spring, first few days of summer we've had. Um, I've not seen that much sunshine in, in a while. We're talking about this idea of improving our quality of life. And one of the places that we speak of quality of life a lot is in regards to our health. Uh, someone has an ailment, something that's wrong, and we talk about, I just, I just want to improve my quality of life. And so we seek out the help of physicians and, and surgeons and medical professionals to help us find that quality of life physically that we're looking for. We want to maybe do the things that we once did or have a chance to do something that we've, we've dreamt of that maybe we've been limited in. We want to improve our quality of life. And something I've noticed is that if, if we're going to help someone physically improve their quality of life, that, that oftentimes we give the credit to the surgeons and the doctors, and, and in some cases, rightfully so. I mean, they go to school for a number of years, they train for a number of years, they invest thousands upon thousands of dollars in, in, in getting good at their craft, at their trade, at their skill. But behind every improvement in quality of life uh, medically is really a much larger team of people uh, that have helped to make that possible. Uh, I, I've had the privilege in 19 years of being a minister, pastor, preacher, whatever you want to call it, of being with a number of people in the hospital, whether that's praying with them uh, before surgery, uh, waiting in a waiting room with a family while they're uh, waiting for a loved one uh, to complete uh, surgery. Maybe it's the recovery room. Maybe it's just stopping by. And one of the things I've observed is that while surgeons and doctors and stuff are really, really important, that there's a much greater team of people that make those things, those procedures, successful. Uh, recently, I was in the hospital with an individual, and uh, sometimes I get invited into a conference room, and I get to hear what the surgeon has to say, and it became pretty apparent that the surgeon knew what they were doing. Uh, they were really accomplished. Uh, they, they probably, on their wall, had all kinds of achievements and accolades. I, I learned that they'd studied under some of the best in their field. And while that surgeon did a lot of good, there still is a much larger team behind that success. And so as I observe in the hospital, here are the things that I've seen, the number of people that are part of that success. There are facility operations personnel. There are men and women who are making sure that electrical systems and plumbing systems and waste management systems, uh, housekeeping, uh, that, that all that's happening, that all that's going. Uh, because you can't get in the operating room. You can't do surgery without electricity. You've got to have the right environment. Uh, there are a number of people involved in IT in hospitals. Uh, they make sure that all that digital equipment, all that technology is talking to one another. And, and, and the, the MRI images are showing up at the right place at the right time. And the, the CT scan actually shows something. And it doesn't look like, you know, some, some kid did some abstract ink blot drawing. I mean, there, there are people making sure this stuff happens uh, in facility operations. Uh, you don't want to go to a hospital room post-surgery that hasn't been cleaned, hasn't been sanitized, because then you end up with infections. Those people are important. They're important to what happens with the improvement in the quality of life. I think about all the administrative professionals. There are a number of offices in a hospital you never see. Uh, they don't have tables that you sit on. They don't have exam rooms. And they're made up of administrators who are making sure that all the different parts of the hospital function and run uh, properly. There are a number of professionals who are making sure all the right emails are sent, uh, that all the right images show up in the right physician's computers at the right time uh, to make sure that they're actually working on the right part of your body when you get into the operating room. Uh, that's, that's kind of important. All those people are working. Uh, if you go in for surgery and you come out of surgery, you go into the hospital and you get the care that you need, uh, there's going to be a dietitian and a food services team that helps you have the optimum diet uh, for healing. 
They're going to be food preparation people. They're going to be food cleanup people, food delivery people. Uh, They're going to be working on your behalf, and all of them are essential to that process of improving your quality of life. There are a number of specialists. You have imaging departments. There you have ultrasounds and MRIs and CT scans. You have people that, 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 that study and monitor this system of the body and that system of the body. And someone's making sure they all work together to make sure your breathing and your heart's still functioning and your blood's still pumping. Pump, pumping? Yeah? Pumping? Uh, and they're, they're working together. So that all these people are working and, and acting and they all help improve that quality of life. They're essential to it. And we haven't even gotten to the nurses yet, have we? The aides, that, that, that when the, the, the call light comes on and the, the machine starts beeping, uh, they, they rush in and they come to the aid of the patient. Uh, sometimes the patient has needs that um, seem a little uh, awkward for other people to take care of, and they jump in and they uh, literally... Uh, get their hands dirty sometimes, uh, a lot of times. Uh, they deal with really harsh demands. Uh, there, are, there are pharmacists that make sure that the right combinations of uh, drugs and medications are all not going to interact and cause an adverse side effect. Like all this is happening to make that one surgery, that one procedure be a success. So we can give the surgeon the credit, we can give the doctor the credit, but let's not forget that behind any great success medically is a whole group of people that have come together and contributed to that success. It's not just hospitals where we see this, though, is it? Uh, Think think about sports. Whether it's a team championship, an individual uh, championship, there are a number of people, uh, teammates. Uh, In the case of individual sports, you have coaches and trainers, uh, some that are active right now, but certainly some that have been active since the beginning of that person being involved in that sport. Someone taught them how to swing the golf club, the tennis racket, how to, how to do the breaststroke or uh, a backstroke. Uh, people have been involved. Many people contribute to the success. Anytime there's something great, anytime there's a great movement, anytime there's a great um, a product that's developed, anytime there's a great achievement, there's always a much larger team of people that have contributed to that success. Uh, authors, their name gets put on the book, right? There may be a couple names on the book sometimes, maybe at most uh, three or four names of all these people that have contributed to this work. But what do we also know? that there were a team of editors who did the really hard work, right? They took all those words that didn't make a whole lot of sense when the author first got them out. They revealed all the spelling issues, all the punctuation issues, all the formatting issues. There's a team of, of, of publishers and distributors and marketing people that help make those books a success behind any great thing, any great endeavor, any great movement. Uh, there's a much larger group of people that contribute to that success, Why do I tell you something you already know? Because sometimes I think that we forget that what is true of the hospital and what is true of a book and what is true of a championship is probably most clearly seen in the church. In the kingdom of God, any great success happens because a much greater group of people came together and they all contributed something and a life was transformed. Now, when I talk about the kingdom of God, here's what I mean. I mean that place where God's purposes reign supreme, right? Uh, If we talk about people, the kingdom of God is at work in people's hearts where God rules and reigns in the heart of people. 
where, where, where God, they've been introduced to him and his plan and his purposes for their life. And they say, God, I want to I wanna live your very best. I want to live what, what you've designed, how you've designed me to live as a human being. And so that's God's kingdom when it's working, when it's moving in the hearts and lives of, of men and women. And anytime we see the, God, the kingdom of God move in people, it's because God has used a number of others to make that happen. Now, God is the chief agent of transformation. God is the chief agent of change through his spirit, through his son. But here's the really neat thing. God has chosen to use imperfect people like us to work alongside him to be a part of that transformation that takes place in someone's life. And so every time we hear of someone coming to follow Jesus, being introduced to Jesus, every time we celebrate someone being baptized, it's because God has used a number of people to affect that person's life. Any great thing you see in the kingdom of God has a much larger group of people behind it. In in Philippians chapter 2, where we're going to hang out this morning, we're we're looking at uh, what, what some would probably dismiss as like a a travel log, kind of like a travel diary of, of Paul. Uh, we've had some pretty big moments so far as we've been studying Philippians. We've, we've seen in Philippians chapter 1 that, that Paul shows us how much the Philippians mean to him. Uh, he appreciates them deeply. Uh, we, we, we've seen that there is some adversity that Paul's uh, encountering, that some things that he's struggling with, and the things he needs the Philippians to do for him in response, the, the prayers that he needs, the reminders they need to have. Last week we looked at this idea that Ultimately, Paul wants the Philippians to, to kind of have the outlook on life, the mindset, the perspective uh, that Jesus would have to not look out for themselves, but to look out for other people. And as we read through these big moments in this letter to the Philippians, we can get to verses 19 through 30, and we can kind of start reading about, well, I, I plan to send Timothy to you, and uh, he's not going to be able to make it. I want to come see you, but I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to come see you, so I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to you. you. You better treat him nicely. And we read these things, and we're like, like, what's the point of that? Like, is this just Paul's extra commentary? Like, he's half asleep in the middle of the night, and then, like, the email's kind of trailing off, and he's given these details, and how do they really work together? But what I want you to see is that in these verses, we see incredible evidence for how important each of us are in helping the kingdom of God advance and move in this world. And so if you have your Bibles, find Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 19 through 30. I'm just going to read uh, all these verses initially, and then we're going to jump back in, and I want to make some observations. So Philippians 2, uh, Paul has just told them to have the attitude of Jesus Christ. He, he's given them some practical ways this happens, and then he turns to this, um, what looks again at the surface like a travel log. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proven himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, who's also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy on him and not him only, but also on me 
to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. I mean, it would have broken Paul's heart if this guy comes from Philippi to help him and he dies while he's there. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety, i.e. he won't die on my watch. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So see, we read all these incredible words at the beginning of Philippians 2. Um, your mindset should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. It's this powerful, uh, enlivening uh, speech that kind of Paul writes to the Philippian believers. We hear about not grumbling and complaining. We, we, we hear about all these neat things, and all of a sudden we move into verse 19, and it's like, well, I hope to send Timothy to you, um, but I'm going to have to wait to see how it goes with me, but then I think I'm going to plan to see you soon, and then I'm going to go ahead and send Epaphroditus because he almost croaked when he was with me, and I want him to croak on my watch. And so it's like, what's the point of all this? Well, here's the point. If we keep in mind what Paul has just done in Philippians chapter 2, really verses 5 through 11, where he says, have the mindset of Jesus, he's talked about the importance of having the perspective of Christ, which is built on humility. It's built on not looking out for our own interests, but the interests of other people. And as he does that, he starts thinking of these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who themselves are modeling the kind of life that's not focused on self, but it's focused on others. See, what Paul is doing here, more than sharing about who might visit and when they might visit, he's actually lifting up and commending, he's highlighting these two great kingdom servants. As he's thinking about Jesus and the mindset he wants the Philippians to have, he's like, oh, wait a second. I know two guys that are living this out. Let me tell you about them. Let me tell you about Timothy. Let me tell you about Epaphroditus. You know them. I want you to see that they're a living example of the type of mindset, the type of servant you should be. So he's commending them. He's highlighting them. He's, he's raising them up and saying, hey, Philippians, look at these guys. This is the type of servant I want you to be. Why would Paul do that? Because Paul knows how important great kingdom servants are to the mission of God. He knows that behind any great kingdom work, there are a number of people who have helped make that possible. If if Philippians 2 isn't enough for you, let me just take you on a little bit of a journey. Uh, Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 12. He, He has the famous words about being a living sacrifice. He has famous words about not being conformed to the pattern of the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as you read down a few more verses, he talks about the grace that God has given each person to help build up the kingdom. He's talking about spiritual gifts. If you fast forward to 1 Corinthians and you read in 1 Corinthians 12, there's this passage on spiritual gifts. And Paul writes this, he says, to each one, a manifestation of the spirit has been given for the common good. Now that's a mouthful. What's a manifestation of the spirit? That means that when God's spirit invades you, you're a person of faith, you believe in who Jesus is, God's spirit lives inside of you, like he creates abilities and gifts that you get to share with other people, that you get to come alongside other people with. Maybe it's with words. Maybe it's with your hands. Maybe it's with some advice. Maybe it's with some some act of service. And you get to be a part of helping other people encounter this God who changed your life. If that's not enough, you can go to Ephesians chapter 4, where it talks about Jesus equipping some of us to be preachers and teachers and evangelists and leaders how Jesus actually takes us and he allows us 
to pour into other people that they might experience this kingdom of God. And remember why, why, why the kingdom is so important is because God has this way when he created the heavens and the earth, he made it exactly as he wanted it. Mankind, God, humankind, God living in harmony, men and women living in harmony with their creator. And then sin entered the world. And so God brings Jesus to, to save us from sin, to make things right. And he, he allows Jesus to show us what it really looks like to be human. And so the kingdom of God is where these people are united around God's purposes, trying to live out the very best of what it means to be human, to be human God's way. And so God enables his people who are being transformed to come alongside other people and, and to help them be transformed in the process. Commendable servants are essential they're mission critical to what God is doing, what God wants to do in this world. If, if the words in Romans and Corinthians and Ephesians aren't enough, uh, think about Paul's other imagery. He talks about the body. He talks about the body of Christ that somehow um, those young and old, men and women who love Jesus, somehow get to be the, the tangible representation of Jesus on this earth. And he calls us a body. And it's not that he just wants the abstract picture. He actually has you think about it even, even in more detail. He says, just as the body is made up of many parts, heart, lungs, liver, kidneys, intestines, spleen, uh, gallbladder, you name it. I don't know my anatomy very well. Uh, just as those organs are all important to the function of your body, he says every person in the body of Christ has an important part to play. And so as he elevates and highlights and commends Timothy and Epaphroditus, he's saying, these guys are a part. They're, 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 they're providing the function that they're supposed to. And he highlights that example. Well, what I hope you'll get this morning is that you'll see as Paul highlights Timothy and Epaphroditus and their service, that you'll see that God wants you to be part of his incredible work. Uh, I read a study this week. Um, I was curious, where, where's volunteerism at in America? And so there are a number of reports that have been published recently. Uh, places like Harvard and Stanford and others have done a lot of research about volunteerism in America. The startling findings uh, are, are this. Volunteerism in America is in decline. Fewer people are choosing to use the hours of their life on behalf of other people and other organizations. Now, this is not faith-based versus non-faith-based. This is just across the board. They actually see that a small group of people are choosing to volunteer more and more and more, but fewer people as a whole are choosing to volunteer. Unfortunately, I think that makes a statement about our society, Right? As our lives turn more and more inward and we think more and more about our own personal dreams, our own personal ambitions, our own personal wants, then suddenly I'm more consumed with what I want versus what benefits other people. What happens when that creeps into the church? We have a number of organizations in our community that are doing things that honor God. You would call them great kingdom works. They're doing things that matter to the heart of God. They're, they're, they're feeding people who are hungry. That's pretty important to the heart of God. They're helping people who are in poverty. That's pretty important to the heart of God. They're coming alongside people who are lonely, who are orphaned, who are in trouble. That, that, that's pretty important to the heart of God. And all those things need to, to have us serving in them. They need to have us leveraging our lives alongside of them, being a part of that kingdom work. 
But let's not forget that the work of the local church, helping other people see who this God is and how he's made them and finding their place in the kingdom is just as important as those community organizations. See, what so often happens is we say we need to serve in the community or we need to serve in the church, but this isn't an either-or proposition. This is a both-and. We should all be leveraging our lives, all be investing ourselves as servants in those things that matter to the heart of God. And so my hope over the next few minutes is to show you, just by looking at Timothy's life and Epaphroditus' life, what it looks like to be one of these commendable servants. How can you be the type of servant who leverages his or her life for your local church and, and for your community? Now, I know that some of you, Lebanon Christian Church is not your local, local church. I know this isn't your community. You're here visiting. You're here helping family. So just take what we share and take it home and use it in your community and and in your church. When we look at Timothy and Epaphroditus here, I think they show us just some of the key characteristics of a commendable servant. And here's the first one, is that for a commendable servant, their chief priority, their top priority is God and his purposes. That's the top priority. Look at this in in Timothy and Epaphroditus' life. Look at what Paul says in verses uh, 21 and 22 about Timothy. He writes, For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, it's important here to make note, Paul is using hyperbole. Um, You probably recognize this. Uh, Anyone in the room have children, grandchildren, nieces, and nephews that you see on a somewhat regular basis? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. So, some of you lie, and some of you tell the truth. Because I know that most of you have family members that fit into those categories. Anyway, um, Hyperbole is what you hear when, when that child says to you, everybody has an iPhone. Everybody gets to go to Disney World every single day. Everybody, you know, gets a later curfew. Everybody, all my, that's hyperbole, because you know that that child, that student, doesn't have every single person in their life who has those things or does those things. But from their perspective, as they look out, most people do. So when Paul says, everyone looks out for their own interests, he's not saying it's a fact. There's not a single person in this world um, that, that, that chooses not to look out for their own interests. No, he's just making a statement on society. It's very similar to what he said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, where he talks about being people who are humble, people who don't look out for their own interests, but the interests of others. He just looks out at Roman society and says, here's the deal. Most people are concerned about themselves. But what does he say about Timothy? It's not the case with him. But you know that Timothy has proved himself He's proved his character because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Paul Paul shares that while everybody else seems to be consumed with themselves, Timothy is consumed with the things of God. He wants to make a difference. He is different. One of the reasons he's commended is because God is his top priority. The same is true of Epaphroditus. Look at verse 25. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. And look at these descriptors. My brother, co-worker, co-laborer, fellow soldier, your messenger whom you sent to take care of or to minister to my needs. Who's Epaphroditus living for? For God. He wants to make his life count. He's joining Paul in the work 
He's, he's coming on behalf of the Philippians. He's, he, he wants to make a difference. God is his top priority. Commendable servants choose to make God their top priority. He's what's most important. And in a world with so many competing interests, in a world that tells you live for yourself, achieve your dream, have your best life now, if we don't filter that through the, the way of the kingdom, we end up with self-absorbed lives. Commendable servants. God's their top priority. And so are his purposes. Here's something else we see about commendable servants by looking at Timothy and Epaphroditus. They have a genuine concern for the people that they're near. Earlier this year, uh, we shared that kind of what's under um, all of our teaching this year, all of our planning is this overall theme of being near. We want to get to the end of 2019 and as a church, be nearer to Jesus, nearer to each other, and nearer to our neighbors, nearer to our community. These men were near their community and the people that they worshiped with. Do you see what he says about Timothy, verse 20? I have no one else like him, literally no one that shares the same soul as me, the same heart as me is what that means. I have no one else like him who does what? Will show a genuine concern for your welfare. Paul says no one else has a heart for you believers in Philippi like Timothy. He cares for you. He loves you. You're important to him. So let me just ask this question. Is your community important to you? Do you have a genuine care for the people that walk across the crosswalk in our intersections? Do you have a genuine care for those that are at the park? Do you have a genuine care for those that live next door to you or the farm, you know, two miles away? Do you have a genuine concern for those that are near? Do you have a genuine concern for those that are part of this Lebanon Christian church body? Or again, if this is not your normal church home, the church you worship with. Do you have a concern for the men and women, young and old, that sit in these seats or throughout our building in our various environments? Do you have a concern? Epaphroditus has a concern. He has a concern for the Philippians. Uh, we kind of can put together from this passage that the Philippians really wanted to come see Paul. They're, they're in Philippi. They're in Macedonia. He's in Rome. He's imprisoned. And, and Paul's had a huge influence in their life. So they want to see Paul. They want to help Paul. Macedonia is a poor place. They don't have a whole lot, but they want to help Paul with what they have. But they can't all go. Uh, they, they can't all get there. And so here's this man, Epaphroditus, who cares. And he's like, hey, guys, send me. Knowing that the, the, the journey meant risks, it meant hardship, and sure enough, Epaphroditus experiences that, doesn't he? We, we learn that he gets sick. He, he nearly dies, but he cares so much about his church and his family, he wants to represent them, and he wants to help Paul. He cares. Commendable servants have a genuine concern for the people near them. They have a genuine concern for people who are already followers of Jesus. They want them to truly get it. They want them to truly see this is what being a follower of Jesus is all about. They want them to see what it's not about so they don't get caught up in, in these false pursuits. Uh, they, a genuine concern for people means that you care about those who don't yet know Jesus because you want them to taste and see that God is good and experience the very best of what he has for them, even in the midst of life's hardships. Commendable servants have a genuine concern. Commendable servants, uh, they, they sacrifice. 
Start with Timothy. It's, it's kind of easy to see this in Timothy's life. Uh, Timothy chooses uh, to abandon what he knows and just uh, be Paul's uh, kind of secret agent, his, his emissary, his ambassador. He hangs out in Ephesus and, and helps in a church that's full of all kinds of difficulty. He, here he's in Rome with Paul. Paul's imprisoned and Timothy's right by his side and he'll go wherever Paul wants him to go. And it costs. I don't know if Timothy ever got married. Don't ever read anything about that. I don't know what it meant for other friendships, what it meant for his own dreams. Maybe, maybe he wanted to compete in the Olympic Games someday, but he chose to to team up with, with Paul. Epaphroditus, it's pretty clear there too. I look at 26 and 27. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. There's this moment when Epaphroditus understands that all of his friends back home realize how sick he got. He loves them and now he's bothered that he's kind of becoming a bother to them. But he had to leave things that he knew and things that he loved and things that were familiar behind to go help Paul. He knew sacrifice. Verse 27, indeed he was ill and he almost died. Like that's pretty sick. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. And if that's not enough, look at verse 30. Paul says, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. It's not that the Philippians didn't want to be there with Paul. It just was impossible for all of them to go. And Epaphroditus risked it. He sacrificed. When you look at kingdom work, when you look at people's lives being changed, you look at God coming to rule and the reign in the hearts of men and their lives aligning with his purposes and, and people being saved and transformed, it always comes because someone else is willing to sacrifice. Someone else is willing to give up their extra hour on Sunday morning. Someone else is willing to give up their extra hour on Wednesday night. Someone else is willing to give up their extra hours to prepare for that lesson or to go to that hospital or to write that card. Someone else is willing to sacrifice. Commendable servants only have God as their top priority. Not only do they have genuine concern for those that are near them, but they sacrifice. And here's the final thing I see in these servants is that they're flexible. Uh, not, not like yoga, flexible. But they're flexible when, when life changes and life situations are different than they anticipate. They're willing to trust God and, and, and go with the flow. Epaphroditus, I can just kind of see this meeting taking place in the church in Philippi. Um, everybody's discussing uh, Paul's in jail. They feel really bad for him. They're like, man, he's been so good to us. We've got to do something for him. And, and somebody pipes up and they have the idea, well, why don't we go to him? And and the person's like, oh, we can't do that. We don't have the money. How are we going to do that? We're like, we need somebody who's willing to take the risk and to go. And, and I can see Epaphroditus kind of sensing that God's leading him. He's like, hey, 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 I'll go, guys. I'll go to Paul. I'll do it for us. And in the meantime, they're kind of coming with this game plan. They have this picture of what it's going to look like. Epaphroditus is going to take their gifts, and he's going to make the long journey, and it's going to go well because you know if you do something to honor God, there's never anything that, that's going to go wrong, right? That's the, that's the belief we kind of have as people. And so he has all these great plans. Like, I'm going to go. I'm going to be with Paul. It's going to be this, this great thing. Like, I'm going to be with Paul. He's going to be praying all day, every day. And, and like, we're going to see people come to know Jesus, and it's going to be so perfect. And what happens on his way there? 
gets sick. So sick he almost dies. I think we can relate, can't we? Aren't there times when you felt God leading you to do something and it seems so clear? And we convince ourselves, well, if God's in this, then nothing else is going to go wrong. And we just get started down that road and it hurts more than we thought and it's harder than we thought. It doesn't go like we thought it would. Uh, kind of the example that, that came to mind uh, this morning was when I was doing uh, youth ministry, um, we, we always needed people to help with, with students for whatever reason, people seem to be pretty scared of teenagers, uh, even though teenagers, in my opinion, are way more honest, uh, way more authentic so often, uh, and I wish adults were a lot more like them, no offense. Um, but I would have people who would be very well-meaning, and they would come up and they would say, hey, I really feel like God's calling me to work with students. And uh, in my back of my mind, I was laughing a little bit because I was like, Man, this is going to be a lot harder than you think. Like, they thought it's all, it's all dodgeball. Like, you just line them up, you knock them down. Like, that's, that's loving people, like for Jesus. It's all pizza. It's all cupcakes. And, and, and then they get into a small group and uh, some kids sharing about abuse from a friend or a family friend or a neighbor. Or, or, or they're having a conversation and the kid you just hit with the dodgeball loses his temper and now he wants to take you out. And inevitably, after a few weeks or a few months, that leader would come to me probably half of the time and, and say, Craig, I don't think youth ministry is for me. But they had a dream. Commendable servants are Flexible. When, when one plan fails, like, okay, God, maybe student ministry isn't it. Maybe it's children's ministry. <laughs> no, just kidding. It's, maybe, it's, maybe it's making meals for somebody. Maybe, maybe it's helping serve and welcome people. Like, they're just flexible. They go and they find that next thing. Commendable servants are willing to always find that next way to see how God can use them, how they can make a difference. And commendable servants are critical to the mission of God. I would like to tell you why God chooses to use us as agents of his kingdom work. I don't know that answer because I know how desperately flawed I am. But God chooses to use me and he chooses to use the way he's gifted me to help and he wants to use you, not just in our community, but also in this church. Here's the challenge we're issuing for you, to you today that over the next five or six weeks, you would intentionally think about how you can be a commendable servant at Lebanon Christian Church. If you're already involved as a commendable servant, then what I want you to do is I want you to think, okay, how am I involved? Is there a new way I should be involved? Is it time for this season of service to end and a new season somewhere else within the church's ministry to begin? If, if you are not yet a servant, I want you to seriously pray over how God could use you to help other people's lives be transformed for his kingdom. Will you be a commendable servant? Will you make him your top priority? Will you have a genuine concern? Will you sacrifice? Will you be flexible? And will you see God use you as a part of an incredible story of salvation in life after life after life after life? Just to give you an idea, there are a number of ways you could be involved. Uh, I, I just made a short list. I'm going to forget somebody, so don't be offended. I just started thinking, okay, what all is involved in someone encountering God just on a Sunday morning at Lebanon Christian Church? And here's the short list I came up with. Let's just start with our property, what we might call our grounds. When you pulled onto our property this morning, all the places that weren't underwater <laughs> had been mowed. 
Weeds were trimmed. Flower beds had been weeded. Plants had been maintained. And all of that was done by volunteers. What's the connection to the greater story? Well, you and I both know that in our country, when you pull onto a piece of property, and if it's in disarray, you automatically wonder, what's this place all about? But when something's beautiful, you say, okay, they take things seriously, and what they're doing here matters. And so you are a part, if you're in one of those ministries, of of helping people encounter God. Let's move beyond the property. Let's move into the doors. Did you notice that when you came in this morning, the lights were on? If somebody turned those on. Did you notice that when you went to check your email during my sermon a few minutes ago, your Wi-Fi worked? When you updated your Facebook status, hashtag boring, or whatever it was, like, I mean, it worked. And, and that's because somebody made sure all those things worked, and those somebodies are volunteers. You notice that the air conditioner's running on what's going to be our most humid and, and warm day of the year thus far? Yeah, somebody got all those set up and, and made sure they were working and, and the filters were changed. Volunteers. There, there are things that have broken in the last few weeks, and some of them were fixed by our maintenance guy, and some of them were fixed by volunteers. Uh, did you notice that when you came in that there were people there greeting others? Maybe, maybe there were so many people coming in at the time you came in that nobody greeted you, but you saw them. You saw people at a welcome center. Uh, there, there's coffee that's fresh and available. There are people helping you navigate the kiosks if you're checking in children or yourself or grandchildren. And guess what? They're all volunteers. And there are people with administrative gifts that lie behind those volunteers. And they're volunteering and they're making schedules and they're communicating to ensure that people are here. Volunteers. All for what purpose? So people can encounter God and be changed. And if you took anybody that you loved to any one of our other ministry environments, they were full of people. Some of them as young as preteens, uh, uh, adolescents, adults, and some of them elderly. And they were there for one purpose, and that's to help people encounter Jesus. Whether it's rocking babies, whether it's feeding them goldfish after goldfish, Cheerio after Cheerio, you know. Uh, they're, they're there to help them know the love of God. Uh, in, in all of our environments this morning, at some point, preschool children, elementary age children, students, teenagers, uh, they had a worship service, a worship experience. And there were people leading singing, and there were people playing instruments. There were people sharing uh, messages about communion, and guess what? They were almost all volunteers. Everyone that you saw helping with our singing this morning, with the exception of, of Sean, who's our worship minister, is a volunteer. All of them serving for the purpose that God's name is made great. And we move beyond our environments and you think about how this functions. There's all kinds of things behind the scenes. One of the other reasons the lights were on this morning is because there's a finance team managing your generous gifts to make sure that they go to the right things. And one of those things that means that the bills are paid. And guess what? Those finance team members, they're all volunteers. And we're just talking Sunday morning. If we started branching out to funeral dinners and, and meals for people who've just had surgery or had babies, or we start moving into uh, other special events and into Wednesday night programming, the list just grows and grows and grows because people have chosen to be commendable servants. We want you to be a part of that. If you're already a part of that, I hope you'll know. I hope you're, you understand how, how mission critical you are, but I hope if you're not, you'll see how mission critical you are and how God can use you to make a difference here and in our community. 
God has given us the time. We all have 24 hours in our day. It's just how will we choose to use them? Will they be leveraged for our own interests or for the interests of his kingdom? So the big appeal of the next five or six weeks is for you to seriously contemplate how God can use you as a commendable servant here at Lebanon Christian Church. And maybe you're already thinking, well, how, how, how do I do that? How do, where do I even start? Uh, well, we have a great team of administrative people uh, that have, uh, have worked on a whole new section of our website for you. And what I'd like to do over the next couple minutes is just kind of show you how that works. One of the best ways for you to choose to figure out how you can get involved is to start on our website. If you go to LebanonChristian.org, main menu on the top of the screen, if you highlight the, the button that says connect or the, the word connect, uh, a menu will show up below it, and you select the word serve. And when you select that word serve, it's going to take you to a page, and it's going to ask you if you want to serve at LCC, serve in the community, or serve around the world. If you want to serve at LCC, you click on serve at LCC, and that takes you to another page. And that page will show you just some general descriptions of the types of ways that you can serve at Lebanon Christian Church. If one of them seems intriguing to you, it's really hard, click the click here button, all right? The click here words. And it's going to take you to more descriptions of the types of ministries involved in that area. And when you find one, you're like, man, I wonder if God wants to use me here. Again, click here, and it'll take you to a form that you can fill out. And when you fill this form out, here's something very important. You're not signing up for the ministry in that moment, okay? You're not saying, my life is yours, you own me. <laughs> you're saying, hey, I'd like to learn more about this. And so what's going to happen, you can, you can fill out this form a few times uh, for different ministry areas. Someone from that ministry is going to contact you within a few days and, and share with you the different ways you could be involved. Some of those ministries need people weekly. Some need people twice a month. Some need people monthly. Some it's as needed. Some it's every several weeks. There's a variety of things, and you can learn. They'll, they'll get in contact with you, have a meeting, share with you the job description, let you know what it is, and you can decide then how do you want to be involved. Once you've done that, and this is going to be open on our website from here on out, um, but, but what you do, once you do that in this season of this kind of serve initiative, uh, you'll be invited to be a part of training. We're going to have what we call training days where specific ministries uh, during the month of July and, and August are going to have times for you to learn about the ways you can be involved and what that means. So you're equipped for what you're, you're going to do. Uh, many of us know what it's like to be uh, voluntold for something or volunteer for something and we're not told how to do it, and it can feel pretty helpless in that moment, can't it? We don't want that to be your story. So we're going to try to help you and aid you as much as we can. And then something really fun is going to happen all along the way throughout the rest of uh, all of July, which starts next week. That's kind of crazy. Uh, and then into August, around what we call signing days. And so uh, each week there's going to be a table down here in what we call our hub. It's going to kind of have a backdrop on it, kind of like a college athlete or somebody gets when they go and they sign on. And we're just going to have fun with it. We're going to take your pictures as you sign up for a next generation ministry, or as you sign up for guest services, or as you sign up for grounds, and we're just going to sign you up. Uh, we're not going to just sign you up. You're going to sign up. We're going to take your picture when you do it, all right? Uh, no voluntolding here. Voluntolding, telling, whatever. Um, but we hope that you'll be one of these commendable servants that helps make a difference, uh, not only here, but through your service uh, all around the world. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your hope. I thank you for your mercy and for your life. God, help us. Help us to honor you Help us to help others be drawn into your life. Help us to leverage these lives that we have, all that we are and all that we have, 
for all that you are, have been, and always will be. God, you are amazing and you deserve our very best. And it's in your name we pray and trust. In the name of Jesus, amen.